Good morning, church. Our scripture today is going to be in Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me. Uh, If not, the scriptures are going to be on the screen behind me. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Will you pray with me? God, we recognize you here in this space. We believe that it's true, as your word says, that where two or more are gathered, your presence is here with us. And so God, we just acknowledge, we acknowledge you here, and we ask you to move in our hearts today. God, would you, would you make us a people that are open to receive what it is that you have? Give us hearts open, give our ears eager to hear, and fix our minds in a way that we would come to know the ways and the graces of God. And so, God, we give you this time, and we ask you to move in the ways that only you can. And it's by your son Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen. So when I was in college, I got this crazy idea to train and run a half marathon. And that came out of influence from my mother. And many of you do not have the privilege and honor of knowing my mother. Uh, She's a saint of many sorts. And one of the things that is super impressive about her is she does this thing called running for fun. Like she really enjoys it and runs half marathons, marathons, triathlons, you name it. She's, She's a beast, okay? And so as a sophomore in college, I decided that it was my turn to prove to myself that maybe those genes really do pass on, right? That maybe I can be a beast just like my mom. And so I set out to train for this half marathon. And along the way, this crazy thing started happening where there were times where I kind of liked it. Yeah. And so I I was setting out on one of kind of my normal runs because I'd even gotten to the point where I had a a route that I liked to run. And so I came up to a four-way intersection that I'd run through many a times, and I've, I've hit the little button to signal to the other side of the intersection, I'm ready to go when you give me the signal. You know, the guy that goes like this, that lets you go. 
So I'm doing that thing that runners do as well, where they're like jogging in place, I guess to let you know they really are runners. Um, so I'm doing that thing where I'm jogging in place, waiting for my green light go, and then the guy bings. So I go. And I get about two or three steps into this, and out of my peripheral vision, I see a vehicle coming and making what appears to be an illegal left turn. And so in all of an instance, I am like this. I turn my head. I make eye contact with the driver. We lock eyes. We are aware about what's about to go down. That driver, instead of slamming on the brakes, she decides she's going to slam on the gas. And instantaneously, I am hit. I am up on, on the hood of the car. I'm rolling. I'm rolling. I'm rolling and land flat on my back in the middle of the road. And I don't really know how much time passed. It's kind of a, you know, traumatic experience. But the next thing that I remember is I'm laying on the ground, my eyes closed, and I just ask myself, am I dead? And I open my eyes. I'm like, okay, no, I'm not dead. I feel my legs real quick. Okay, my legs aren't broken. I need to get up. I need to get up out of the road. And I swiftly get up out of the road, and I'm just pacing. I'm like, I just got hit by a car. What do I do? And I'm, I'm, I'm pacing around. And, and thankfully, several people jumped out and witnessed the scene, thankfully slash also embarrassing. Uh, witnessed the scene, and they're kind of coming around me. And they're like, are, are you okay? And I'm like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Should I just keep running? And they're like, no. Sit down, <laughs> sit down. You're in shock. You're running on adrenaline right now. Um, but a, f a few minutes passed, and I really was like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. And so I went on home, and uh, I, w I went home to my roommates. And I'll tell you, there's not really an easy way in conversation, whether it be with my roommates or like a phone call to my mom. There's not a real way to ease into that, right? Like, oh, hey, mom, how's it going? Hey, Megan, what'd you do today? Oh, well, you know, I, I went to class. I went on a run, got hit by a car. You know, there's just no way that just, that, that punch just lands. And so, but for, for all that I understood and knew about this situation, I had really come out super lucky because I, I was feeling good. I wasn't feeling any effects of this. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. I kept telling everyone who asked me, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. And the next day, I got up to go to my church admin job. I was an admin for the church that I attended in college. And so I, I got to church, and a lot of my job as an admin was doing a lot of um, paper cutting and stapling, a lot of things with, with your hands. And it became quickly apparent in trying to do some of those tasks that maybe I, everything wasn't, wasn't okay. Uh, my left wrist my hand was just kind of slumped over, and I, I could not pick it up. I couldn't bear any weight, and soon I couldn't use it at all. And so a quick call to a friend asking, me to, asking her to drive me to the doctor, uh, and then an x-ray then confirmed that my wrist was, wrist was severely broken. And I was going to have to then be put in a cast, which I was. My wrist was set, put in a cast. And for the next eight weeks, I would be on my way to healing from that accident. So, so why did I go to the doctor? Well, because of course. When you think that something is physically wrong with you or something may not be right physically, you go to the doctor. 
Just like when you hear a noise in your car or a light on your dash is on that's not supposed to be on, uh, you go, you take it to the shop. You go to the mechanic. And even if you didn't grow up around the things of God or didn't grow up in the church, most people have a working knowledge that as Christians, we believe that you go to the feet of Jesus to fix a broken relationship between you and God. Now, in our scriptures today, we get a mention of what it looked like for people to fix a broken relationship with God before Jesus was on the scene. And if we really wanted to go into a super big deep dive of what this process looked like, we would go all the way back to Exodus 25. And Exodus 25 through the end of the book of Exodus would give you a very detailed account of what it looked like for the people of God at that time to be reconciled to God. But we don't have time for that, so we're going to do what I call the Spark Notes version of this, and it is found in Hebrews 9, also just a couple of verses before what I just read. So if you have your Bibles again, if you'll open with me to Hebrews 9, starting actually in verse 1. And it says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room were the lampstand and a table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded in the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. See? Spark Notes version. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room and only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So a little background, a little context to what I just read. So the the people of God, the Israelites, had just been led out of Egypt. And Moses was given by God two systems for his people to function under. One was a system of law. And this law gave detailed instruction for moral, ceremonial, and spiritual ways of living. One of them most well known being the Ten Commandments. And at the same time, while God gave the system of law... He knew that the Israelites couldn't keep it fully and perfectly. So at the same time, he gave his people a system of sacrifice. And that system of sacrifice would allow the sins of the people to be covered by the shedding of blood of animals once every year. And that covering would cover them for a year. It would have to happen year after year. And so you have the system of law and the system of sacrifice. And the last instruction that Moses is given by God is that these two systems are to be housed in a sacred and set-apart place called the tabernacle, where God promised to live among his people. Uh, and so up on the screen, you're going to see a picture of a replica of the, tab of the tabernacle. And there's several different components here that, again, we don't have time to go all into. But I want to point out three kind of 
kind of components here. We have the outer court, which is this whole area in, inside here with like the little tables and you see the cute little animal right there. Okay, then we move into the building-like structure and that was called the temple. And the temple had two main prominent pieces to it. You had the holy place and the most holy place. And some translations will say the holy of holies. And those two places in the temple were separated by a veil. And, and so this system of law and this system of sacrifice, the pinnacle of the system of sacrifice was that once a year, the high priest would sacrifice an unblemished animal. And he would take that blood and walk into the temple through the holy place. And then only he could walk through the veil and go into the holy of holies. He would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And when he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, God's presence would fill the holies of holies. And that would indicate to the people of God, to the Israelites, that their sin was covered for one more year. And so while this covenantal system was in place for, for the time being, it was not by any means perfect. Because you see, it just continued to provide a temporary solution for a perpetual problem. No matter what the Israelites did, their sin payments came with an expiration date. And, and furthermore, with all the ceremonies and following the law and sacrifices, there was another piercing reality that these worshipers faced. Guilt and shame. Guilt focuses on behavior, while shame focuses on self. Guilt says, I've done something bad, and shame says, I am bad. You see the difference? But more times than not, guilt and shame work in this beautifully tragic dance to where guilt leads to shame, and shame leads to more guilt. I've done something bad, so therefore, I must be bad. I am bad. And because I am bad, I do bad things, right? They continue to work together. So now imagine yourself as the Israelites. Put yourself in the Israelites' shoes for a second, okay? They have been given the, these commands by God. They've, they've given this law. And they break it the minute one person back talks to their mom, all right? I've done something bad guilt. And then no matter what they do, no matter how well they follow the law, do the sacrifices, all of the things that God has said, their sin payments still come with an expiration date. So therefore, maybe that means I am bad. Hmm. What a hopeless system. Why would God set up a system that could never fully satisfy? Why would he set up a system 
that never fully solved the payment that was required for sin or absolved the Israelites of their guilt and shame for trying to follow this law and these commands that God has set out. Why would he set this in place if it could never fully satisfy? Because it was never meant to. It was never meant to. It was never meant to absolve the guilt and shame and sin that they faced because it couldn't. It couldn't. Because whether it's for the Israelites or for us today, we alone as humans cannot save ourselves. We can't do it. We can't save ourselves. We can't act right enough. We can't do enough good things. And we can't buy enough flowers when we've hurt someone's feelings to be able to take away the painful reality that we are insufficient or make our insufficiencies go away altogether. So when I was telling y'all this story earlier about getting hit by a car, um, I left out some some pretty prominent details. You see, when, when I got hit and all of those people that I mentioned had come out and were, were checking on me and making sure everything was okay, uh, they also were sharing some really good encouragement and wisdom towards me. They were saying things like, hey, Megan, you probably should still just go to the doctor to make sure because you're, you're in shock and running on adrenaline right now. Things may not actually be okay. And they were saying things like, we should probably call the police and do a police report. You should probably get the name and insurance of the person that hit you. They're they're saying all these things to me, and I just keep refusing. I'm like, no, no, we don't need to do all of that. We don't need to go through all of that trouble. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just kept walking around like this to prove I'm fine. You see, we're good. And then when I went home, My roommates were saying the same stuff to me. My mom was asking the same questions of me. Did you get the insurance? Did you do a police report? No, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine, I'm good. So when the x-rays confirmed that I was indeed not fine, not fine like I thought, um, I was pretty overwhelmed. And honestly, not because I was like, oh no, I'm broken. Because I had gone to a doctor. Physically, outwardly, I was on my way to healing. I had done what needed to be done at that point to bring physical healing to my body. But the guilt and shame that I felt for the way that I handled that situation, for the ignorance and pride and foolishness that I displayed upset me so much. And on top of that, as a huge consequence to my failure, I now had a massive medical bill that wouldn't have been there had I, had I done things a different way. And so I remember being waiting for my mom to answer the phone when I was going to call her and tell her the news that my wrist was actually broken and I was shaking. 
Um, and when she answered, when she answered the phone, I, I just, I just lost it. I just broke down. And I just kept saying, Mom, I'm so sorry. How could I have been so foolish? How could I have acted so, so dumb? I am a mess up. I am a screw up. I'm so sorry. Now we've got this massive medical bill. I don't know how I'm going to pay it. I don't know how all of this is going to go down. And I'm just so sorry. And somewhere in the middle of me exploding my failures and my consequences, at probably one of the lowest moments that I had felt between my mom and I, she chose mercy. And she said to me, Megan, I forgive you. I forgive you. In that medical bill, I've got it. I'm going to pay it. It's taken care of. Don't worry about it anymore. So in the face of my brokenness, my mom decided to not only forgive me, but pay the consequence for my brokenness. Friends, how much more then has Jesus forgiven us? How much more then has Jesus, who came and lived fully man and fully God, lived a sinless and perfect life, looked at us and said, I choose to forgive you. And I choose to be obedient to God the Father and pour out myself as a sacrifice, pour out my blood to the point of death as a final and forever payment for your sin. And so by Jesus' death and resurrection, when he rose victorious, he once and for all took away the penalty and weight of our shame and sin. And as he was raised to life, we now are raised to walk in newness of life under Christ's blood. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, we become a tabernacle as we have the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelling in and among us. Jesus did what the tabernacle and us could never do. Jesus freed us fully and finally. And we are called to now go live and serve the living God. There is a line in one of my favorite worship songs. Uh, the, the very beginning of the song, it says, Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. And friends, I don't know where everyone in the room is at with Jesus or the reality of all of the components of what I've just shared. But I would invite you today to believe the truth that God's victory, Jesus's victory for you and for me was sufficient. 
Because it is. It was and it is. And I invite you to let that truth and that victory change you from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, we are so thankful that you made a way when it felt like there was no way when a system that could never fully satisfy was present. Thank you that it was just a mirror. It was pointing to the one who would fully satisfy, to the one who would take sin's final payment and weight and penalty once and for all. When we at least deserved it, and we definitely couldn't earn it. God, thank you for choosing to love us in the middle of our mess. God, thank you that you don't ask us to clean ourselves up before we come to you because we couldn't clean ourselves up enough anyway. God, thank you that your mercy and your grace are so, so sufficient. God, you are so good. You're so good to us. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the gift and the new life that we have in Jesus. And we pray and we ask all of these things in that mighty name of Jesus. Amen.